Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 1.13 a.m. Sunday night, Monday morning, and today was a really cool day at church. I am uh, currently um, putting my computer through the ringer right now. I'm like exporting video. I'm recording this audio. So if you can hear fan noise in the background, I'm sorry, but I'm uh, burning the midnight oil, getting stuff done. And I hope you're doing awesome. (laughs) Uh, Just want to kind of um, share a couple of announcements with you before we jump to Hannah. Um, She's going to talk about Elijah today. It's a really excellent service. We continue our string of doing really weird communions. So if you want to join us for communion on this uh, on this podcast, just grab yourself some some bread and some wine or some cookies and some juice or whatever works. Anyway, as far as the announcements go, we've got a couple things coming up. Um, the 21st from 3 to 5, we are going to be uh, going to shuffle and having a shuffleboard outing. Uh, keep your eyes on our social media just for the final details on that. But 3 to 5, shuffle in St. Pete. It's going to be an awesome time. Also, on the 29th, we are doing two things. In the morning for church, um, we're actually going to be doing something we call biography. So basically, we're giving the band the day off, and there's not going to be any music that day. And instead, we are going to invite our very own people to come up and share personal stories. Uh, We have picked four people for this particular one. The theme is going to be rest. So you're going to hear four people plus Hannah share a personal story loosely based around rest and then Guiana is going to do a um a little like meditation at the end i'm really looking forward to it we've done the biography once before and it was uh, really cool just to hear from our people and if you are interested in doing something like this let me know i would love to consider you for the next one so put that on your calendars you're not going to want to miss it also that night we are sponsoring uh, an event that we are so excited about It is the one-year anniversary of The Mar. If you don't know what that is, it is the theater and performance space run by our friends Dave and Heather. Dave plays drums, Heather sings, and uh, they started around the same time as us, and they're literally just like a street over and a block up, Uh, so there could not be more like neighbors, and they are doing a one-year anniversary party. Um, I don't have all the details on that. It's in the evening, and we are going to be sponsoring it, and our band is going to be playing there. So come on out. There's going to be, uh, they're selling stuff. Uh, I think there's food trucks. Uh, there's a couple different types of performances. Forgive me for butchering all of the cool stuff that they're doing, but um, just come out. Just trust me. I'll be there. It's going to be a blast. Come on out and support the Mar. Uh, while I have you here, if you haven't, you should go to diff.church on your phone. It is a way to stay connected with us, communicate with us. You can uh, let us know anything you'd like us to pray about for you. Uh, you can donate if you love what we're doing and you want to see us keep doing it. Um, you can check out events. Uh, and one of my favorite things is you can just give feedback. Let us know what we're doing that you really like or let us know what you'd like to see us do. All right, let's jump into the message today. Uh, let's call this one communion with Elijah. And you know, Hannah is a Bible nerd because she thinks stuff like this. Elijah is pretty cool. We're actually going to read the passage together and then we are going to discuss as we normally do. So you can follow along on the screen. This is the NLT translation. 
from 1 Kings 19, 4 through 8. It says, Then he, Elijah, went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and then went back to sleep. I like him. <laughs> then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now, our story is actually part of a series of stories about Elijah in 1 Kings, and he was one of the great prophets of Israel. So he's like a very famous guy. Um, in the New Testament, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, he like has this vision and people come down from the sky. Elijah is one of them. Like Elijah is major in the Old Testament. And yet he's on the run alone in the wilderness this is kind of remarkable because in the previous chapter, he had won this crazy victory over the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. So I'm going to give you the Hannah translation of what happened in the Bible. Elijah, so Elijah's the prophet of Yahweh. Yahweh is the divine name for God in the Old Testament of the Israelites. And then we have Baal, different God. He has all his prophets, specifically 400 of them. Why you need 400? I don't know. Seems like a lot. But Elijah, just one, just one prophet for Yahweh. 400 prophets for Baal. And Elijah is like, hey, do you know what we should have? A sacrifice off. Apparently that's a thing. So Elijah's like, hey, do you know what would prove? We have competition. I'm going to make a sacrifice. I got some wood, got some dead animals. We're going to put them over here. And you, 400 people, you make your sacrifice. Get some wood and some, some dead animals. You put them over there. But no fire. So what you have to do is just pray to your God and then fire will magically fall from heaven and burn up your sacrifice, and that's how we'll know which God is real. And the prophets of Baal agreed to this. 400 people collectively was like, this seems like a good idea. We could just pray and fire will come down from heaven, right? I don't know if you've read this story, but it does not happen. <laughs> so they take all day. 400 people jumping, chanting, they hurt themselves, they fall on their faces, they go crazy all day, nothing happens. Not even like the slightest whisper of a breeze. Nothing. Is that better? Y'all been praying for the demons in these microphones? It's better than it has been. It's better than it has been. Elijah, um, not only does he build his altar, he digs a trench around it and then dumps like vats of water on top. He's like, oh, not only are you going to fail, you're going to fail spectacularly. I'm going to soak this thing. Meanwhile, Israel is in a drought, mind you. There isn't really any water. So for him to take all of this water and then dump it on the sacrifice, it's kind of like a slap in the face. And then Elijah prays, and the story says that fire comes down from heaven and burns up the sacrifice, the wood, and evaporates all the water. And there's a huge crowd of people watching. They go nuts. It then says that Elijah kills 400 prophets of Baal, which seems, seems like an exaggeration to me. Like, I, have any of you seen the movie 300? Yeah. 
a, a group of 300 people. <laughs> like, I don't know anyone, truly, who could kill 400 people, even if they've been praying all day and like hurting themselves and they were exhausted. Like, one person killed 400 people? I don't think so. <sighs> Samson. <laughs> Another narrative in the Old Testament that we should talk about sometime. <laughs> who just, with a jawbone, just kills people. <laughs> Delightful. Teach this story to your kids. Uh, so he, it says that Elijah did it. I think probably what's more realistic is that this huge crowd of people is watching this showdown all day. They just get into like a frenzy, kind of like a mob mentality type of thing. And this is what happens. This is what results. Elijah is the catalyst. So he essentially wins. He wins the sacrifice off. Baal did nothing, didn't show up. Baal was sleeping. And then, <laughs> shockingly, Elijah is somehow on the run for his life in the wilderness. Gee, I wonder why that would be. Maybe because he killed 400 supporters of the crown. So the news gets back to the king, the queen, furious. They're like, Elijah is an enemy of the state. Not only is he supposedly killing 400 people, he like whipped this whole crowd into a frenzy and he killed all of our prophets of Baal and it's just terrible and it's embarrassing. It makes us look weak because we've been worshiping Baal even though... Our law says we were only supposed to worship Yahweh. We've been worshiping Baal, and we must have done something wrong. Baal must be mad at us because he did not come down and burn the sacrifice. So Elijah is branded as this enemy of the state, which of course he was. I don't think this is unreasonable to think that the king and queen would be very upset by the fact that a crazy mob happened and killed a bunch of people. So Elijah takes off running for his life. And this is where we find him. He's going to the wilderness. So he's traveling with his servant. He gets all the way to Beersheba, which is the southernmost border of Israel. And then he leaves his servant behind and he just keeps going for another whole day, hoping he can find some safety and some peace. But he doesn't find any safety. The wilderness is not really a safe place. It's dangerous. There's nothing there to support life. There's a reason he's not followed there. There's no food. Uh, there's no water. Aside from that, there's wild animals and extreme temperatures. The desert in Israel is hot. He is just worn out. He's stressed out beyond all reason. The heat is unbearable. He has no water left. And he says, I have had enough. Now, if this were like a normal like Pentecostal church, I would be like, have you ever been in a place in your life where you have said, I have had enough? Can I get an amen? <laughs> like, he literally, like, I would think he would almost be a little more dramatic about this. He's not like, God, how could you let this happen? He doesn't even have a rant. He's too tired to even do anything. He's like, that's it. I'm out. Take my life. And he falls asleep under a broom tree. He just can't do anything else. Unless you have a false image of what kind of place Elijah was in. This is a picture of a broom tree. Just a little bit of shade, right? Not much, though. Like, I don't know if you've been outside yesterday. It's pretty hot. Can you imagine being outside for more than one day, just with that. Anybody in here like get third degree burns from sunburn? This would be, no, no food, no water also. Just hanging out under a broom tree. They don't, broom trees don't need very much water to grow. Elijah is in the desert. He's in the wasteland. The heat is unbearable. He just wants to die. He is at the point where it feels like, oh gosh, it would just be better if I wasn't even living anymore than for me to try to continue to survive at this point. It's futile, it's pointless, it's impossibly hard. I think maybe it's easier for us to relate to Elijah at this point than it is at other points in his story because when he 
there's images of like Elijah speaking directly to God. There is these images of him calling down fire from heaven to burn things to dust. There's images of him like inciting this mob of people to kill other people. Like this is, we can't really relate to Elijah, I hope. <laughs> I hope you're not like, well, I did really relate to Elijah when he was murdering people. <laughs> Let's talk afterwards if that was you. <laughs> but then we find out actually he's just a regular human after all. He has all these feelings of failure and despair and defeat. And it seems like he has at least some form of PTSD. After all, there was an event that happened, even if we don't take literally that he himself killed people. 400 people died, and he was part of that in some form or fashion. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, the things that we go through when a loved one passes away, 400 people he witnessed no longer existing, and now he's alone. He's, he can't bring himself to take his own life, so he begs God to do it. Like, it would just be better if I just didn't wake up. And God, this is so interesting, because God hears this. He's like, I see, Elijah, you're exhausted, you're angry, you're hopeless, and you want me to do something. And you are asking me very specifically, take my life. And God doesn't agree with him. God's not like, you know what? You are worthless. <laughs> Do you know what you did? I came down from heaven. I gave you the fire that you asked for. Okay, and then you have the audacity to be this whiny little person in the desert. You can't even be appreciative of the scraggly broom tree that you find yourself under. I don't know why I picked you as a prophet, Elijah. You clearly don't have the stomach for this. God doesn't do any of that. Do you know what God does? He sends an angel to feed Elijah and sit with him while he sleeps. He, Elijah is begging God to kill him. And what does God do? He sends a messenger of life instead. Why is this important? Because Elijah is supposed to be the messenger of life. He's the one who speaks the voice of God to the people and he speaks life and he speaks life and then he doesn't have any left. Doesn't have any words left, can't handle it. We can't do it. And God sends an angel, he sends a messenger to the messenger with a message of life and not death. And the angel gives Elijah fresh baked bread. I feel like there's some kind of deep spiritual message here about carbs, right? Like, if you're feeling real sad one day, I mean, there's nothing like a big bowl of pasta, maybe I'm speaking for myself, to just make you feel better, give you those good hormones, good endorphins in your brain. What's interesting also, and this is part of why the Bible I find so fascinating to study, we're like, oh yeah, like the angel gave Elijah bread. So what? He was hungry. But this is exactly what Elijah gave someone else two chapters before. Elijah comes upon this widow, and she's starving. She has nothing. She's about to die. And Elijah makes it possible for her to have fresh, hot bread and the ability to keep making it. And she lives. And then Elijah gets to where he has nothing, and he is ready to die. And God gives him the same thing that he had given someone else. It's almost like a reminder, like, hey, 
Remember that the message is life. Remember the words that you've spoken to other people. Remember the actions that you did. Just a little bit ago, you made it possible for someone else to live. Here's that. I'm going to give you what you've given other people. And he, Elijah's like too tired to even acknowledge. He's like, okay, thanks. He like eats his, stuffs himself with bread and then passes out again. But this time, he's not sleeping alone. The angel watches over him. And then wakes him up again. He's like, you know what you need? More bread. Because you have a long journey to take and you have to get your strength up. So Elijah eats more and then he sets off on this 40-day journey to Mount Sinai to meet with God. This is totally a tangent because y'all know I like nerdy stuff in the Bible. Um, so bear with me. <laughs> Why is Elijah's journey and his destination interesting? Because Elijah is a very important character in the Old Testament. And another very important character is Moses. And Elijah and Moses are like two of the biggest people. We find them in the New Testament. Like, in fact, Jesus is compared. They're like, is this Elijah? Is this Moses that he would talk like this? So Moses is a big deal. And Elijah and Moses are compared constantly. And this passage actually draws parallels between Elijah and wandering in the wilderness, and Moses, and his wandering in the wilderness. First, both of them pray that they die. Obviously, Elijah's like, I can't take it anymore, I've had enough. Moses prays that he might die and be released from the dreadful Israelites. He's like, God, these people are the worst, and rather than talk to them or see their faces one more time, please kill me. That's so complimentary of the Israelites, right? They literally drove him to one to not exist. So they both want to die and they ask God. Second, Elijah travels 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, which is the place where Moses was up on top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights receiving the tablets of the covenant, which we know as the Ten Commandments. Moses on the mountain for 40 days, Elijah's in the wilderness for 40 days, and if you know your New Testament, you may find that you remember that Jesus was also in the desert for 40 days, fasting and praying. Now, was Elijah on a journey for literally 40 days? We have no idea. What we do know is that the writer, the person recording the story of Elijah, found it crucially important that Elijah and Moses be compared and this 40-day theme is one way to instantly make that comparison. The people who heard this, who read it, would have been like, oh yeah, I know who else was in the desert for 40 days. It was Moses. So the writer is trying to tell me something here. It's a literary device. The next thing that makes them similar is Moses and Elijah both ask for special revelation in a moment where they're just completely at their wit's end. Moses is like, these Israelites are the worst. You had better show up or I'm not doing this anymore. And Elijah is at the end of his rope and he's like, don't even show up. Don't bother. Like, if you love me, you'll just kill me. And this goes beyond a little bit of what we see in our passage today, but Moses gets this experience with God where he's kind of like hidden in a crack in the rock and God passes by him and Moses gets to see his back. And I say he for God because that's the word in the Old Testament in that area. It's a masculine word for God. That doesn't mean God is masculine. 
So Moses sees God pass by, has this experience, and then keeps going. Elijah actually has a very similar experience where God passes by while Elijah's in a cave. And God sees Elijah, cares for him, feeds him, nourishes him, watches over him while he sleeps, doesn't let him give up. I mean, maybe you've been in a similar place in your life once or multiple times. You just felt like you were ready to throw in the towel. Maybe not even wanting to really be alive anymore. And yet, God came and provided some nourishment for you. Whether it was God, God's self showing up somehow, or was it God sending a messenger to you that brought words of life and not death? The more often we hear stories of how God provides, the more, the more easier, the easier, <laughs> I should grammar check my notes, the easier it becomes to hold on, to have hope, to hold on to the God of plenty when things seem scarce in our own life. Like God's grace multiplies miraculously and exponentially. Like when bread is broken and shared, there's more. It's a God of abundance. There's not just enough for us. There's more than enough for everyone. We talk about this a lot, I think, here, that God is a God of abundance, of enough. It's not a competition for resources. There's enough for everyone. God's economy is one of enough and abundance, and not abundance at the expense of others, abundance that includes others. Abundance that finds people who are lying in the desert under a tree and brings them bread and water and sits with them when they sleep. In our context, maybe it looks like this, like an abundance that finds the person who's sick at home and drops off some soup at their door. Or an abundance that finds the new parents who are at the end of their rope and cleans their kitchen for them. Or an abundance that finds a friend who is really struggling and takes them to a movie in their favorite dinner just to be together and put a smile on their face. Or an abundance that finds a teenager or a child who's clearly struggling and just takes an hour to be with them and listen to them and play with them. We are gonna do something this morning. We don't do it too often because COVID's kind of a ruiner of worlds. <laughs> um, and I actually had a different plan for this. We're gonna do communion. And it was gonna be like really great because I was gonna get some fresh baked bread and then, you know, like put it in bite-sized pieces and then it would be totally tied in with the Elijah thing. It was gonna be so perfect. I had plants. However, I know that that might be difficult with masks and COVID and so on. So we've changed our plans a little bit. And what we have instead are little like pre-packages, individualized cookies. They're packaged by themselves. And we have apple juice boxes. They don't sell grape juice boxes, apparently. Or if they do, there weren't any at the two pub Publixes, Publi, that I went to. <laughs> <laughs> the Publi. <laughs> if you're from St. Pete, you know there's, two pu there's a Publix like across the street from another Publix on 4th Street. I call them the Publi. <laughs> oh 
let me tell you a story. I've told this before, but like we have never had a normal communion at different church because we started right before the pandemic. And apparently we're still in a pandemic, which I have lots of feelings about. I'm sure we all have feelings about it. And I appreciate all of you for wearing your masks today. It just really is helpful that we can care for our community. The most powerful communion experience I ever had, I was on a trip with some people in college and a couple professors. We were going to this event and we were just like sitting in a hotel room and someone brought their guitar because of course they did because it was college and we were Christian. So somebody had to have a guitar so we could worship the Lord. So they were like pulling out, they pulled out their guitar, they're playing these songs, et cetera, et cetera. And then we just felt like we should take communion. We're like, we should really do this. Like this is exactly what communion should be. We didn't have any bread. We didn't have any wine, and that also wasn't allowed, okay. Um, and we didn't have any grape juice, so we're like, what are we gonna do? So somebody had fresh baked chocolate chip cookies that their mom had sent with them on this trip. And we had one unopened bottle of triple X vitamin water. <laughs> so we took communion with that. And it was awesome. It was the most wonderful communion I've ever been a part of. Why? Because it meant something. We felt that God was with us and that we were doing something really meaningful. Um, I know that communion is weird, not just because we're doing it with like shortbread cookies and apple juice, but because it's a weird thing. Like if you didn't grow up in church and then you come in and you're like, well, what we're going to do today is eat God. <laughs> and aside from that, just a little sippy sip of his blood. That's not weird at all. <laughs> This is how we approach communion. There are no limits here. If you have ever been denied or felt unsafe or felt not welcome to take communion um, or to participate in the Eucharist or to participate in the Lord's Supper, whatever your faith tradition called it, we do not do that here. Every person is welcome. The question is, do you want to? If you want to, it's for you. If it's meaningful for you, it's for you. I'm not gonna like walk around and check and be like, did you do it? Did you eat God today? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna do that. If it's meaningful to you, I want you to participate. Um, and if you're, we have a little table in the back. There's a stack of individually packaged cookies and there's a stack of juice boxes. Uh, someone suggested that I get Capri Suns which I thought would have been great, except, I mean, I would like to have video cameras set up to record a whole room full of adults trying to stab those straws. <laughs> and I really don't want to mop up the aftermath, so we got juice boxes that are much easier. Any person who wants to participate can participate. If this is not for you today, you don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to feel like you're missing out on something. You're, you belong already. This is something that you can do that is meaningful for you because you're participating in an ancient tradition that the church has of saying that Jesus has made it possible for us to be together and belong together, that all the hard things in our life and all the terrible things in our life don't have the final word. That when culture says, this is what's going on, we don't say that. that God doesn't say that. That God says, you may want to not go on anymore but my message is of life and not death, of hope and not hopelessness, of rest and not insomnia, of being fed and not being hungry. That's the message of God. So wherever you are today, 
I'm gonna kind of give the like an overarching blessing for communion and the band has two more songs and they're gonna play and during the songs at any point when you feel it's right for you you can go back and get a juice box and some cookies and just take a moment I would just encourage you to take a moment to speak to the divine so typically the way that communion goes is depends on what tradition you're from, of course, but you come up one by one and then I say the thing and then you take the, you know. In my tradition, we had like tasteless wafers. They're terrible. Some traditions have wine. Some traditions have fresh baked bread. That was my goal for today, someday. But I'm just gonna give the overarching blessing. So when you take the cookies, it's not important that it's a cookie. It's important that when you take a bite, you realize that the community of faith accepts you for who you are. That God has made it possible for you to be celebrated and to belong. That when Jesus, when the words, this is my body broken for you are said, that means that Jesus gave up his own life so that we could have enough, so that we could have abundance to show us that there's something more important than ourselves. And when you take a sip of apple juice, when I say, this is my blood shed for you, it's because we already belong. It's because all the terrible things that have happened or that we've done or ways we've harmed other people and the ways we've harmed ourselves don't have the final word. And then we get to be a community of faith together and support each other and find our way out of the wilderness together. So I'm just gonna pray really fast and then the band will take it away and then as you're comfortable, if you don't feel comfortable taking off your mask for a second to take a bite or take a sip, you can take it with you. But I just encourage you to have that moment before you do that where you really just quiet your heart and quiet your soul and communicate with God in some form or fashion. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're so much bigger than strawberry cookies and apple juice. And that you're so much bigger than all the people who said, no, you can't participate in communion because there's something wrong with you. We know that the community of faith is a place sometimes of great harm. And we hope to change that completely and make it a place of great love and great acceptance, and great affirmation, and great hope. And maybe it's as simple as sitting with someone while they sleep. And maybe it's as complex as undoing all the ways that we have learned to dislike ourselves and to make ourselves feel small. We're grateful that you are in us and with us and around us Keep our interactions with each other healing. Amen.